Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. So I, I put together a bunch of Torahs in a kind of in a book form and just kind of beginning to get it out there and see what's going to happen to it. But at the end of the book, I've got all these kind of like short one line things that just things that have resonated with me. And here's the lyric. I, I hope I'm getting it right. If I'm not, I'm, I'm close, which is I may not be perfect, but I'm not my mistakes. I may not be perfect, but I'm not my mistakes. And I, to me, the reason why that's so important is because, you know, and a lot of people, I don't think they're even conscious that they're doing this. But if you were to sort of like take a moment and think about it, how many people actually think, you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm the person who doesn't do this, or I'm the person who did that. Right? Like, they're, they're, the, they're the sum total of all the things that they did wrong. And, and that's, who they, that's who they think they are. And so, I may not be perfect, but I'm not, but I'm not my mistakes. So, so why am I telling you that? Because the question is, what are, what are we doing post-Yom Kippur? Someone came up to me, like, during the break from the prayers. And they said to me something that, Again, they were able to articulate that I think a lot of people experience, but they're not able to articulate it. And I, I was so happy that I had an answer because I think we all have to have an answer to this. But let's first hear the question, which is, she said to me, you know what? Like the service opens and God says, I forgive you. Which let's just take a moment to appreciate that. There is no suspense. <laughs> like, like as soon as the service starts, God gets right to the bottom line. I forgive you. Right? So you don't know, like, how's it going like, to play out? No, no, no. You're forgiven. Okay, great. So she, she's, now we're getting toward the end of the service here. And she says to me, I don't know what to do with my own forgiveness. I don't know how to relate to it. And it's such a, and I got it, like it's such a giant concept that sort of like, it's so abstract, right? All the things that I did wrong that, remember, Reb Shlomo says something so intense. He says, it's not that I did it and I'm sorry that I did it. I never wanted to do it to begin with. That, that's the deeper level. And when you're in touch with that aspect, then you're really, then you've come home really. I never wanted to do it to begin with. So, so now what are you supposed to do with this forgiveness? And I, I gave her this example that I've kind of been working with over the years. It's just a visual, but I mean, do you know what cargo pants are? Mm -hmm. So cargo pants are, you know, they've got like, ton, like more pockets than you could imagine you could fit on a pair of pants, right? So imagine you're wearing cargo pants and you're also wearing like a cargo shirt <laughs> and a cargo jacket, right? It's just like you're covered in pockets. And now imagine every time you did something wrong over the course of the year, like someone put like, like a little bit of sand in one of the pockets. Now, can you imagine like over the course of the year, by the end of the year, do you know how heavy sand is? Like you could hardly move. Like you can barely move. And then what happens on Yom Kippur? God like turns you upside down. 
holds you by the ankles and shakes out all the sand. And now it's like I can move again. See, the thing is, is that we've got a soul and, and when we do something wrong, sad as it is, but it's somewhat inevitable, when we do something wrong, we begin to sort of like layer barriers between our soul and between, our, between, between ourselves such that it, it becomes progressively difficult over the course of the year to hear the sound of your own soul. And, and so what happens, like the big breakthrough, the big giant breakthrough of Yom Kippur is, I can hear my soul again. And so with that in mind, hear the following thing, because this is really the point. What was the question? Well, okay, I'm forgiven. It's great. I'm happy about it. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with it. I can't wrap my mind around it. And so here's the mistake that everybody makes. I think that Yom Kippur is about my past. Like I did all this wrong and now I'm forgiven. But what people don't realize is, yeah, that's great. That's fine. But I need Yom Kippur for the year ahead. I need Yom Kippur for my future. And so that I can hear my soul, so that I can move freely again. And I, I heard in the name of Rabbi Ephraim Waxman this thought, but put like a very sharp, very sh sharp way. He says, most people think that Yom Kippur is 1% about my future and 99% about my past. He said, the reality is it's 1% about your past and 99% about your future. So, so the way, like a lot of people, again, before we get to Sukkot, we have to kind of understand where we're at right now. And we're at the period after Yom Kippur. So we have to understand what, what exactly happened on Yom Kippur. Then we can start to get to Sukkot. So the, the example, like the idea of forgiveness itself for a lot of people is very hard for them to understand. So I have this thing that happened to me. I was saying it over Kol Nidre at, at, at the Happy Minion. And it's just, a, I like it because it's a very simple, easy visualization, okay? And, and, and here's the story. I was late for a business appointment, and I was, like, totally stressing out. And I was, like, I was actually on Martell, if you can picture this, in Beverly, but on Martell, there's a light there. And I, I can't wait for this red light. It's like, I'm like, I'm losing it. And, like, right to my right, there's an alley, and I can cut through the alley and then zip around and get on Beverly, right? And maybe save 30 seconds. <laughs> but to me, that was like, you know, I don't, all I knew is that's faster that way. So, but what I didn't realize was this was like, there were potholes in this alley that was like, it was like, you know, like Afghanistan, you know what I mean? And, and they were all, it was like a, a bit of, it was a bit deceptive because it looked smooth because all these deep potholes were filled with very muddy water. So now I'm riding a white car and I gun it down the alley. And, and I, I seriously thought my axle was gonna break in half. I mean, that's, that's how bad it was. And my car gets absolutely covered with mud, like top to bottom, all mud. And then I pull up in front of this, you know, this Hollywood meeting in, in an outdoor cafe, looking like a madman. All right, so I realize as soon as this meeting is over, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. So I drive home and I, I take my hose, my garden hose, 
And here's the point of this story. I just turned my garden hose on the car and it was white again in two seconds. Do you know why? Because all of that mud was just superficial. It was just on, it was just on the surface. It didn't get into the paint. It didn't get into the car. It was just on top. And that's, that's, that's how Yom Kippur works because our souls are pure. Our souls are from God. We do this little overlay on it, but it just washes off. It just comes off. So again, what's the point? The point is I may not be perfect, but I'm not my mistakes. So now I can begin to make a kind of like a cheshben, an account about my own self-image. And I can say, you know something? That mud that just washed off, that way that I've been thinking about myself, I'm, I'm not that person. I'm not that person. Okay, I've got good days and I've got bad days. Things have worked out for me. Things maybe I really wanted to work out. Maybe they didn't work out so much. But that doesn't define me. Okay, so now let's, let's get to Sukkot. Because, you know, we've been working with this teaching a lot, and I want to take it to the next level right now. What's the teaching? Well, we know that, we know that the world before Rosh Hashanah no longer exists. And until Yom Kippur, the world after didn't exist yet. In other words, the, the world that we're in right now only came into being right after Yom Kippur. Okay, so, so the word Shana is 355 in Gematria. So Shana means year, but we know that, the, that, a, that a year is 365 days. So where are the other 10 days? That's from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. That's when the world is being formed. Okay, and that correlates with the 10 Sfirot, and Yom Kippur is Keter. We're all the way at the top of the top. So now the year can start. So this is the first day after Yom Kippur right now. So now you say, okay, now, now there's a universe, now there's a year, now I'm in it. Okay, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. And the image that I would give you is, I'm sure at some point you've all made ice, right? You, you, you got water, you put it in the tray. And have you ever pulled out the ice tray like a little bit too early? And you see like the top is formed, but it's like a little thin sheet. And if you were to like poke it, you know, you'd have your finger in the water, right? So that's, that's my visual of what the world is right now. Has it formed? It's formed. It's formed. But it can still be impacted. It can still be impacted. And so Sukkot is coming to fill it up with love. And I want to give you this visual. It came to me this morning during davening. You know, a sukkah, like if you think of a sukkah as a miniature of the world that has just been formed, well, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of skeletal, isn't it? Just kind of like that piece of ice that's not fully formed yet. It's a world, but it can still be added to. It's complete in a way, right? Remember, a, a sukkah can have three walls and still be complete. And so this period 
is when we're really fleshing it out and we're adding it out. So how are we doing that? So everybody knows the Aseris Yimei Tshuva from Rosh Hashanah to, to Yom Kippur, that that's Tshuva Mi'ira. That's like awe, fear, everything like this. But once Sukkot comes, it's Tshuva Ma'ava. It's, it's, we're returning to God out of love. Now there's a teaching which is kind of cryptic because it's sort of like, it's hard to get when you first hear it until the Berdichever Rebbe explains it and then it becomes abundantly clear. Believe it or not, one of the classic teachings is that these four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot are called days without sin. And that's a very mystical idea because these four days are already correlating with the Yudke Vavke. It's very, very deep. However, and why just on a simple level are they days without sin? Because you're too busy to sin. Because you've got to make your sukkah, you've got to get your arba minim, you know, your, your lulav and estrog and everything like that. So on a very nuts and bolts level, you know, you're too busy to do anything wrong. You know, the Katskarebi says, I don't want chasidim who don't sin. I want chasidim who are too busy to sin. Like that's, that's, that's a whole other level, right? You don't have time to sin. So these four days are days without sin. But here's the, here's the teaching which is a little bit su- surprising. That God begins counting our sins on the first day of Sukkot. <laughs> so you go, wait a second, I thought this is, Sukkot is love and it's, it's, it's Zman Simchasenu, it's the time of our joy. Now you're giving me this like way out teaching that God starts to begin to count our sins on the first day of Sukkot? Like what's going on? But now listen to the explanation of the Berdichever. He says, you know why God is counting our sins on the first day of Sukkot? Because we've turned all of our sins into mitzvahs, and he's counting our mitzvahs. You see, when the world is still in a state of formation, there's something gavultic going on. And I heard this teaching, the, the, the band Zusha played here in Los Angeles, and Shlomo, the lead singer there, gave over this unbelievable teaching I saw it. We learned it together afterwards. It's from the Beni Shchai. It's from the Maggid of Mezrich. It's from the Shalah. Like all the top tzaddikim are really drawn to this teaching, okay? Which is that the word Pesha, which is a, a high level of wrongdoing. If you rearrange the letters of Pesha, it spells Shefa. Shefa is the flow of abundance and blessing and everything like that. And so according to like the Beni Shchai, that basically, while God is still forming the energies of the world, and that's still going on, like in the way that I was telling you, like the crust is formed, but still, like on a deeper level, we're still forming it. There's a way to sort of like shift these energies of the world so that we can turn Pesha, wrongdoing, into Shefa, into abundance. And there's a beautiful visualization of that in the sukkah itself. So if you were to ask, halachically speaking, what makes a sukkah a sukkah? You have to point to one element of the sukkah structurally. What turns it into a sukkah? And the answer is the schach. Okay, that's the, that's the covering on top. And remember, schach can't be metal. It's got to be organic. But, but you know, what do we put on there? We take sort of like what's called the psolis, which is sort of like the leftover stuff, cut, cut off branches, 
right? Like all this stuff which would be known like in sort of like another way is garbage. <laughs> we take the garbage and we put it on top and it makes the sukkah and it becomes a mitzvah. And that's exactly the process that we're going through right now. We're taking all the stuff from our life from before, which is the garbage stuff, which is the pesha, and we're turning it into the crown of the sukkah itself. It's amazing. And now listen to this, another halacha about the sukkah. When you look up through the schach, you have to be able to see the stars. Now the schach, this covering, has to be made out of something that's adama from the earth. So adama contains the word adam, which means a person. So now listen to this. What is the only thing that's separating you from the stars? Yourself. <laughs> right? Because Adam, you're looking through the Adam. That's the only thing coming between you and the stars. So you just got to get out of your own way. You just got to get out of your own way. And it's like, so many times, I'm not crazy about this expression. I think there are a lot of better ways to say it than, than this sort of like saying, but I'll say it anyway. A lot of times, great is the enemy of good. What does that mean? That unless it's great, I'm not going to do it at all. But meanwhile, good was pretty good. <laughs> I'll tell you a Hasidic story. I wish I remembered the Rebbe. I don't. I feel bad every time I tell this story because it's one of my favorites. But so it goes. So here's a story that illustrates it. And, and I think it's a really important one for, for us to not only remember, but to, but to live with, okay? So it goes like this. There was a tzedakah emergency. And the Hasidim go up to the Rebbe, and they say, Rebbe, there's an emergency. We need some money fast. And the Rebbe thinks, and he goes, okay, we have a bolt of cloth, very fine cloth. We can get some good money for it. Go to the marketplace, sell it. We'll use that money and we'll, we'll use it for the mitzvah. The Hasidim are very excited. They go, great. They start toward the door, and the Rebbe goes, wait, 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 wait. He calls them back. He says, I was just thinking, this cloth is so fine, we could actually make a wedding dress out of it, and we could sell the wedding dress for even more than the entire bolt of cloth. And then now the Hasidim are thrilled. They're like, great, and they start toward the door. And the Rebbe goes, wait, 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 wait. And he calls them back, and he says, Take the bolt of cloth as it is right now and just sell it. And the Hasidim are confused. They say, Rebbe, you had such a good idea. You found a way to make even more money. What, what, what do you mean just sell the bolt of cloth like it is right now? He said, now here's the teaching. Listen, listen carefully. He said, you know what? It was a better idea. It was a better idea. But I realized that that better idea came from the Yetzirah because it knew we were never going to make the wedding dress. And so that better idea, not like, oh, we only thought it was a better idea. No, 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 no. It was a better idea. But that better idea came to stop anything from happening altogether. And that's how the Yetzirah works also sometimes. It'll give you a better idea and you go, oh, it was from the Yetzirah. It wasn't a better idea. No, it was a better idea. And so you have to be really attuned to what is actually going to get done in the moment. Because what's going to get done in the moment is the best thing. There might be higher things, 
But if they're not going to get done, it's not the best thing. You know, in the morning, in the, in the tefillahs, before we get to Psuke de Zimra, they talk about the incense mixture. And they said, you know, if you added fruit honey to it, the smell would be absolutely irresistible. And then it says, so then why don't we add fruit honey? And they give an amazing answer. They say, because God says don't add fruit honey. <laughs> There's no, no, no further explanation needed. So again, the reason why I love that teaching is because it's not like if you added fruit honey, which is against the Torah, you'd only think it would smell better. No, the rabbis are telling you, it would smell better. <laughs> you know, it absolutely would smell better. You know, there, there are, you know, Jews, and they certainly mean well. They're like, you know what? The service is missing on Friday night. You know what would get people rocking? Musical instruments. We absolutely need musical instruments because it will be better. Except we're not supposed to have musical instruments. So, you know, and so therefore that's better. It has to be better. Right? So, so it's, it's just a different way of thinking. But, but, the, but the main point is don't fall into the trap of the Yetzirah where a better idea is going to stop you from doing anything. So, so let's go deeper into the ideas of the sukkah. Sukkah is an amazing word. When you spell it with a vav, and it is spelled with a vav in the Torah, when you spell it with a vav, it adds up to 91. Now, 91 is one of those key numbers that you have to know in Torah because it's a combination of two divine names, the Yudke vavke and Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud. They call that Adnus. So as Reb Shlomo put it one time, Yudke Vavke is God, Master, beyond borders, beyond boundaries. And Adnus is God within borders. Or, if you want to put it another way, these two divine names stand for heaven and earth. And so the idea is that the Sukkah is the fusion of heaven and earth. And now i got to tell you an unbelievable teaching, unbelievable teaching from the Meor Vishemesh. You know, we have two goats on Yom Kippur. And again, Yom Kippur is going right into Sukkot. And these two goats are identical goats, and there's so many way out, way out teachings, but this is, this is one of them. When you shecht, the, the goat, one is, goes to the, is called a korban Lashem. It's going to go on the altar, the Mizbeach, and that represents goodness in the world. You know, it's just being elevated. All of our mitzvahs are being elevated up to Hashem. But then you've got this other goat, this identical goat, which actually stands for evil called Azazel, and it's going to be shechted. It's also going to be killed. Now, when it's killed, this goat, which stands for evil, represents the angel of evil, which is spelled Samech Mem Aleph Lamed. And the Maor Shemesh says that when it's shechted, when it's sacrificed on Yom Kippur, what happens is the letter Mem is removed from its name. Now, when you remove the letter Mem from this name of the angel of evil, 
that leaves Samach Aleph Lamed, which adds up to, guess what? 91. <laughs> in other words, all barriers coming in between heaven and earth are removed on Yom Kippur. That's the idea of sacrificing this goat. And now we've got another embodiment of that energy in the sukkah itself, because the sukkah, spelled with a vav, adds up to 91, which again is this seamless connection between heaven and earth. There's no barriers anymore, because all the evil is gone. And that's why Rabbi Nachman says, it's man simchasenu. That's why it's the time of our joy, because when all the evil leaves you, when all of your wrongdoing leaves you, you revert back to your natural self, and guess what that is? Happiness, joy. You become you again. It's not that you become something else. You return back to who you are, which is a person of joy. So you're coming home. And with that in mind, listen to this teaching from Reb Shlomo. Unbelievable. One of the most amazing teachings. He says, do you want to test? You want to test a sign? Or do you want to know how forgiven you were on Yom Kippur? Like, who, who doesn't want to know that, right? So listen to this. The answer is, it has everything to do with how much at home do you feel in the sukkah? That's the answer to how much you were forgiven on Yom Kippur. How much at home do you feel in the sukkah? So let's, let's explain that for a moment. <coughs> sukkah begins with the letter Samach. So like the whole essence of, of sukkah is, is this letter Samach. Samach is a circle. And I thought that this was, when I first heard this, I thought this was like a, a Torah from the from the House of Love and Prayer in San Francisco, right, from the 1960s. And then I found out that it was said by the Ari, which, like, blew my mind, right? He says, do you know what a sukkah is? It's Hashem hugging you. And when you hug someone, you make the letter Samach, right? You make a circle around them with your arms. And Reb Shlomo says, do you know, when you hug another person, do you know why it feels so good to be hugged? Because... You know what the letter Samach stands for? Somech noflim, that God uplifts the fallen. And so when you make, when you hug someone and you make a Samach around them, the soul language, the body language that you're communicating to that person is, I'm never going to let you fall. That's why a hug feels so good, because the person is telling you, I'm not going to let you fall. And that's the Samach of the sukkah, right? So now here's the question. You know, you've been hugged by a lot of people in your life. Some, some people, when they hug you, you melt into the hug. Other people, when they hug you, it's like, when's the hug over? <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> I got things to do, my friend. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? You know, what? I, I, this is just me talking, and I'm, I might be wrong here, but you know what I think is a bad sign when you're hugging someone? When the other person <laughs> gives you, first of all, it's a, you're hugging them with both hands, right? 
and they're hugging you with one hand and they're patting you on the back with the other hand because it's sort of like, you know, it's like Morse code for you can stop now. You know? so, so the question is, the question is, how do you feel when God's hugging you? Are you melting into that hug? Because the, the answer to that question is, how at home do you feel in the sukkah? That's the answer to that question. How comfortable do you feel being in the presence of God in a, in a like a, almost like a, in the realist way, almost like a palpable way? And now, you know something? I have a Torah that came to me today. I don't know. You can decide whether it's deep or not. For me, it was deep. So, remember I told you the sukkah is the sukkah is like a skeletal version of the world because the world is still being formed, right? It's like that, like the ice cube that you pull out a little too soon and it's just like just like the, the very surface layer is hardened, but there's still more formation that needs to be done. So with that in mind, I want to say that, you know, you have ten spherot, and these ten spherot make the world. I want to say that when you head into Sukkot, that's called the Gimel Rishonos. Those are, those are the top three. That's Hachma, Bina, and Das. That's what's been formed. And then Sukkot is how many days? Ah, it's seven days. <laughs> that's going to complete the structure, right? That's going to complete the structure. That's going to take us from like the top of heaven, the initial formation, and then we're going to add these seven mitos, chesed, gvura, teferet, netzach, hod, yesod, and malchus. Each of the days, and we're going to add these attributes from Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Yosef, and David. And we're going to try to really complete the world by completing ourselves. Right? Because, you know, it's not about how much you know, it's about what you're doing with what you know. And it's not, it's not about how much you have, it's about what you're doing with what you have. And that all gets expressed in your personality. That's why refining your personality, refining your mitos, is the battleground of Torah. You know, we think it's, let me learn as much as I can, right? Like, that's the measure. Who, who knows more? Who's been through more books and everything like that? And, you know, as Reb Shlomo, I don't know if he would say it in this situation, but as he would say in other situations, that's sweet and it's cute, right? But, but who are you? What are you making out of yourself? And that's going to be expressed in how you use your time and how you are with people. And that's what's going to complete the world. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.